The Money Show. Other people's money. Going back to a newspaper, well, not a newspaper article, it's a thing called the internet. It's new. It'll take off one day. 26th of January, 2014. Top prosecutor Glynis Breitenbach has, be, has dumped the National Prosecuting Authority for a career as a DA politician. City Press reliably established that Breitenbach met with the NPA head, Mkholis Nkhasana, uh, before handing in her official letter to resignation on Friday. Since then, Glynis Breitenbach has been carving huge swathes in South Africa's political landscape. And recently, of course, with the uh, entire Tabo Besta fiasco, has been uh, giving lessons in humility to prison officials, both public and private sector prison officials. Um, Advocate uh, Glennis Breitenbach, the former prosecutor at the National Prosecuting Authority, member of the Democratic Alliance, also um, the uh, the official opposition's shadow justice ministers with us this evening. Before we talk about money and all that grubby stuff, Glynis, uh, before we do that, um, you must have had a field day. You were back to your old courtroom cross-examination at the uh, parliamentary committee into the Tabo Besta fiasco. Um, do you enjoy that, that those sort of interactions still? Do you still find that that gets your adrenaline going. Um, good evening. Yes, certainly. I found it very enjoyable. What I did for for 26 years, I'd like to think I did it relatively reasonably. And, uh, and I certainly enjoy it when I get the opportunity. We see so little effective interrogation of witnesses um, in the parliamentary process. I'm not. I'm wild about the committees. I find them hardly, hugely slanted. I find them hugely biased. I don't think they objectively represent the interests of South Africans. It's very scare, rare that we get that level of detailed forensic investigation. It's the way that these parliamentary committees should work, isn't it? I absolutely agree. It is the way parliamentary uh, committees should work, but they're not set up to work that way. Uh, Why not? For some reason, so... So they so generally in parliamentary committees you would have um, an opportunity to put questions you get no answers um, and then once all the questions have been put um, then the visiting body gets to answer some or all of those questions and one that feel like answering or forget conveniently to answer they undertake to answer in writing which seldom happens and that leads to in my view a really really watered down. Uh, process and makes it impossible to hold anybody accountable. Uh, for this particular interaction, we met beforehand our committee. We were all completely um, on one page about how we should deal with it. We were all outraged by the occurrences, and we agreed uh, that we would uh, change the format and that each member would be given 30 minutes uh, to ask questions and get answers in the style of cross-examination. Because so that allows you to draw down to issues that you think are important and to and to not allow the person being questioned to dodge the ball. Yeah. And, uh, and it worked really well. I think it was very effective, yeah. No, absolutely. And again, it, it was so refre- refreshing in a sea of mediocrity to see that level of excellence coming to the fore. I don't mean to blow smoke here, Glennis, but it was lovely to watch. Now, the, this Nulani fraud case, uh, we, we saw the collapse on Friday, the Nulani fraud case. It seemed doomed from the start. What is... Uh, it doesn't worry you about the ability of your former colleagues and people who have recently joined the NPA to actually prosecute any aspect of state capture, I wonder. Well, the whole, the whole state of the NPA is a matter of, of deep concern for me, both as a, as a former uh, prosecutor and someone who spent 26 years there. 
And also, as a member of the Justice Portfolio Committee, it's our responsibility to have oversight over the NPA now. And the, the general state of affairs in the NPA is deeply concerning. Um, I know, I know that there are, from my own personal knowledge, I know that there are prosecutors within the NPA who can prosecute these kinds of cases. I don't see any of them currently prosecuting, but perhaps they're working on on other matters for state capture and that will still come to court. Um, having said that, none of these cases are going to be easy to prosecute. They're all, they're all involved and uh, complex and involve a lot of um, forensic and documentary evidence, so it's never easy. Uh, even for a prosecutor with, with a lot of experience, it's, it's not an easy task. Uh, but this collapse was uh, was astonishing. I mean, the the, the, the level of of non preparation that's apparent from you know from the reports and the reasoning of of the judgment uh, is deeply concerning. How any prosecutor can can um, think to prove a case of this nature without authenticating the documentation is beyond me. It's pretty. It's a very important litmus test for the NPA and the ability to prosecute state capture because it died on the vine, and it does one of two things: either it dissuades the NPA from pursuing some cases, or it invigorates a humiliated NPA. And I hope it's in, <laughs> humiliated into some sort of action. Or is that just a bit too optimistic, judging by quite a low level of success in complex cases in the last couple of years? Well, there's been not even a low level of success in complex cases. There's been no level of success in complex cases. I mean, I can't offhand think of any complex case that's been uh, prosecuted and won in the the recent past. Um, I I don't think that this will galvanize the NPA, unfortunately. uh, if it was going to galvanize the NPH, would they would have gotten involved when it became apparent that there was a serious problem. And, you know, somebody senior would have would have taken a look at the matter and, and tried to rectify where it was going wrong. You don't just leave them to bumble along and, you know, mm. reach the inevitable conclusion. So I find that somewhat concerning. But um, I, I don't think it will galvanize them. And, and this was a case that had to be won. This was the first the first one, and it is the case that underpins um, the Gupta's involvement. Uh, this, this was a case that just really they couldn't afford to lose, and yet they went right ahead and did that thing. So I am very worried, and I'm exceptionally disappointed. I think, I think uh, they owe the country an explanation. Do you regret leaving the NPA? Because you left on your own terms. You resigned. Um, perhaps you would have been pushed out at some point um, uh, and joined and went into politics, joined the Democratic Alliance. So often we, we wonder what a, why we do what we do and we then go to what the purpose is and what we achieve in what we do in our daily lives. Do you achieve more as a senior member of the Democratic Alliance in Parliament than you might have been able to continue achieving within a dysfunctional NPA environment at the time that you did resign? But at the time that I left it, the NPA was deeply dysfunctional. Uh, and I was achieving nothing at all. Uh, they'd, they'd try to 
to uh, get rid of me via a disciplinary process, and they failed miserably. That's right, yes. Um, they then sent me to a very, very large office with a very, very large desk uh, that contained nothing except a telephone that I unplugged. And this was it. And I sat there for a year doing very little. I had to go and scrounge work from colleagues because none were sent to me because they particularly didn't want me to work. So they wanted me to sit there quietly for the next uh, 15 years until I retired uh, and thought that I would do that because I was getting a salary. Um, so, you know, clearly they misjudged the situation. And when the opportunity arose to leave and do something that I thought could be worthwhile, I left. And I do think that I can make a, a contribution to politics. I think we've done, I think my colleagues and myself and, and this portfolio committee of this parliament have done a, a really good job of holding institutions to account. I think we've made a big difference in the way they conduct their business. And I think we've changed the way they view how they interact with parliament. And so I think I have possibly achieved more than I would have had I stayed. Okay. Um, um, when we, we look at, I mean, uh, the NPA, you would have risen up through the ranks as a senior prosecutor. You would have been well paid in civil service terms. Have, have you been able to invest money over time? Because this is about money. As much as I'd love to keep shooting the breeze about the state of uh, <laughs> our prosecutorial system, we do need to retain some integrity to the process. And the integrity to the process is a bit about money. Um, w- were you able to, to build up some savings? Um, do you still have a government pension? How does it work when you resign? Uh, well, that's, that's uh, excuse me for laughing, but uh, you know, prosecuting doesn't make you independently wealthy uh, by any stretch of the imagination. So now I don't have a government pension. Uh, when I left, uh, I got very little, and uh, and so the pension that I will have is the one that I have when I leave Parliament, which. Also, well, that's been such a long time. But that, I mean, that's not relevant. Um, prosecutors don't do what they do for money. Uh, if they wanted to become independently wealthy, they would go and do something else. So nobody prosecutes for the money. You know, you do, you become Dalian Porfu and you charge, you know, 50 grand a day and you and you take as long as you can on a case. Uh, and then you. you. Then, then not you in make... any universe, not this one or the other 200 that may or may not exist. <laughs> I want to be darling important. <laughs> um, uh, the, 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 the sense on your life, for those subsequent to your leaving the NPA, was that during the NPA? Because the risk of what you've taken on during your career um, is not worth, I mean, they say it's not worth love or money. Uh, certainly, you know, the risk to one's personal safety is not worth any money in the world. When when did those attacks happen? Uh, those happened while I was um, being well, while I was on suspension from the NPA while they were oh. running the disciplinary trial against me. Yeah. My goodness, me filthy, filthy, filthy. Do you, I mean, I, you you drove you did at least at some point drive a bulletproof car? Did you have to fund that yourself? Uh, no, I, it was lent to me by a friend. Of course, I could oh. never find a bulletproof car. No, no prosecutor can find a bulletproof car. 
No, absolutely. And, and because, I mean, this, yeah, fighting bullies is an expensive, uh, an expensive exercise. You're in Parliament, of course, and you've got the, the you, will, you will get some parliamentary benefits, of course, one day when you do retire um, at, at the end of a political career. But when it comes to the way in which you think about money, when you, were you born into, uh, into an environment where money was a topic of, of easy discussion? Well, no, not really. I was, I was born into uh, an environment where money was reasonably in short supply. Um, I certainly never went hungry, and I certainly wasn't, um, and you know, unable to pursue anything as a result. But, but certainly, my family were not wealthy people. No. And what was the expectation of you growing up? I mean, you would have gone to a, the local government school. You would have um, gone to university. Did your parents fund that? Did you uh, fund that through bursaries? How did that work? Well, I funded it through um, student loans, which I spent the first 12 years of my working life paying back. <laughs> No, but it's an astonishing thing, isn't it? I mean, the, the student loan process and the, 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 the golden handcuff that comes with the student loan process. But you did that, and you would have done that out of your, your government salary. Did you always work as a prosecutor? Did you always work within the public sector uh, right, right from yeah. the start? I worked, uh, I worked, my first real job was as a, as a prosecutor, and I, I did that for 26 years, yeah. That was your first real job. What was the first job where you earned some bucks? What what, what did you do? Oh, well, I studied at the University of the Free State. I did an LLB at the University of the Free State, and they only offered it part-time. So everybody who was doing an LLB did, um, did their articles of clerkship while they were studying, because else what the hell did you do for the rest of the day? Um, so that was, I suppose, my first job, and I earned the princess sum of 300 grand a month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but hey, it was three hundred rand in those days. It was still nothing, actually. Um, and, no, it was bugger all. Believe me. Do you? I mean, what do you like to spend money on? Are you somebody who? Uh, I know that you have dogs, um, but do you travel? Do you do you, do, you, do you sort of have any uh, as as others have called them smaller nyana skeletons? Things that you like to spend money on. I spend my I spend money on my dogs. Um, the dogs aren't that expensive, really. Um, when I was a prosecutor, I, I lived on a small holding in Centurion, and uh, I had horses. I kept my own horses. That's a very expensive hobby, and I it is spent my I spent my entire adult life slaving away the prosecutor to support my horses <laughs> and my dogs. <laughs> horses are the most wonderful creatures and um, horses and dogs but horses are if you don't want money anymore buy a horse and if you still find oh, you've got money left buy a boat if you've still got money left buy a yeah. wine farm and that'll take away all your money no 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 horses are a never-ending um source of uh you know an opportunity to spend they never get sick in the daytime or during the week. They only get sick at night or at the weekend or on public holidays. It's a conspiracy. Um, so, yeah, horses are, are very expensive. I, I always spent everything I had was spent on my horses. If you live on a small holding, you know, you, there's, there's uh, upkeep to be done. There's maintenance to be done. So between horses and dogs to a lesser degree and, and a small holding, it's a bottomless pit. You can pour money into it. Yeah. Have you managed to break your horse habit? Well, my horses have all died from old age. Okay. I no longer live on a small holding because I no longer have horses, and uh, and 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 I 
don't have my own horse and I don't believe in riding other people's horses. So I no longer ride, yeah. No, and that's a pity. I mean, yeah, horses, are, it's an incredible relationship between horse and rider, and it's wonderful. But yes, it is sure. a, a huge expense. And if you are going to be you know, committing as many hours a day as I suspect you do to the cause of what you're fighting for at the moment, there isn't that much time to ride the horse anyway. Then it becomes even a greater expense with absolutely no uh, no return. And then that just comes with guilt because you're not riding your horse. No, no, no. Horses require not only attention, mm-hmm. but a lot of exercise. So at the moment, my lifestyle doesn't allow for horses. Do you travel much? Do you, do you get away much? Is it something that appeals to you at all or not? Oh, I love I love to travel, and I try and travel as much as I possibly can. But, you know, travel is very expensive as well. Um, and so, yeah, um, if I'm fortunate enough to be invited somewhere, then I, I travel on there. Uh, alternatively, I try to find the cheapest possible excursion that's once a year to, uh, to travel, so... Do you, do you have a favorite destination? Do you like to change it up? How do you like to do this? I like to change it up, but um, I have uh, I have favorite destinations. My One of my favorite destinations is Israel. Uh, another favorite destination is, um, is, is Barcelona. I love Barcelona. Um, I like the Cote d'Azur. Yeah. I like Turkey. And what do you do on holiday? Do you do adventure? Do you spend time in art galleries? Do you lie on the beach in peace and quiet and not think about politics and, and dodgy people? Although I don't know if you can ever get that out of your mind. You like thinking about dodgy people and what you can do to them. Um, how do you amuse yourself on holiday? Well, I generally have, um, I have settled travel companions and we, we always travel together and we like the same things. And certainly lying on the beach is not one of the things that we do. So, <laughs> I can think of nothing I would detest more than lying <laughs> on the beach. <laughs> so we travel, we, we look at uh, historical sites, like art galleries. We, um, yeah, we have fun. We drink, we eat, we look about. No. Live yeah. life. That's what it's about. Dennis Breitenbach, thanks for chatting this evening. The phone line sure. quality, unfortunately, not great. But Glennis Breitenbach, thank you very much indeed for chatting. Glennis Breitenbach, former prosecutor with the National Prosecuting Authority, 26 years of putting bad guys behind bars with very little to show for it in terms of retirement savings, uh, making the switch into politics. And because you've not served as much time as you know, career politicians perhaps have,